the top 10 lessons I've learned from Greg Doucette. Let's go. this last year I've made quite remarkable progress with my physique and and I think one of the important things is that especially when it's a long-term thing like it has been for me that you you need ongoing good sources of information and things to help keep you motivated and push you along and reaffirm some of the things that are easy to forget and uh, basically just good information and I think Greg provided a lot of that for me this year now I will say when I first my when I first saw Greg's material it was back geez when was it it was probably it was probably a couple years ago actually when I first saw him um, and that was when sort of SARMs started hitting the market and I was curious about these things. I mean, they sounded basically like too good to be true. They they sounded like steroids without side effects, basically. And um, and I looked I looked into them, and Greg was a good resource as far as saying, okay, well, this is what they are, and you know, this is. I I don't think at that point in time a lot was known about the potential side effects. Today, when he talks about them, he's much he speaks more negatively about them but at that time it was a lot of just this is what they're supposed to do the the benefits of them and and this arm versus that arm or whatever and he was a good just transparent kind of um resource for that kind of thing is what i came to find about him um and then later this year i kind of saw him a bit more with his cooking stuff but it took a while for me to actually get into it it's like here's this guy he's like a muscle-bound guy who yells a lot and and often doesn't have a shirt or has a teeny tiny tank top or whatever baking weird recipes and stuff and I I don't know it just it it takes a while to it took a while for me to get past that and then when I did I, I actually when I when I did warm up to him, I found there was a lot of um, a lot of good material there. Um, so, um, so actually, as I was thinking about it more to this idea, I realized that the last time I had this kind of good success, like this year, I've I've so far lost like thirty pounds ish. I've I've had a really good year, and and I'm closing in on what might be. Uh, probably well what probably is my best I'm probably at my best physique ever and um and yeah and the last time that I found someone really helped me along and, and inspired me in this way I made it was Ben Pakulski I made a uh, blog post that was I believe top 10 things I learned from Ben Pakulski um actually I went back recently and read it I was like I wonder if I still hold true to those things some things yes some things no but it was a good list you know and um it's funny enough I I also did a list of top 10 things I learned from Greg O'Gallagher on my YouTube channel which was it was tongue-in-cheek it was um 
it was basically the the bad things that I learned from him at that time. And what's kind of hilarious about that one in particular is some of them I kind of actually do believe. I, I, okay, I did, this is a tangent I didn't mean to go on. Um, I'm going to be posting basically this list on three places. Uh, just so you know, I'll, I'll, uh, pull up the links as best I can and put them in the description. I'm going to do it as a blog post. I'm going to do it as a podcast and I'm going to do it as, um, as a video, a YouTube video, because the reason being Greg being a YouTuber, I wanted to do it as a video. Uh, it's going to be slightly different because I couldn't extract, I'm using new equipment and stuff and I couldn't, and apps and I couldn't figure out exactly how to um, extract, export the audio from the video. So I'm, I'm just redoing it. Anyway, um, this, which kind of is annoying in a way now that I think about it, because the way I did the audio, I specifically kept in mind that this is going to be audio. So try to not use visual, you know, aids or whatever. But anyway, whatever. In that, in that Greg O'Gallagher video, um, like some of them obviously were like tongue in cheek. It's like what Greg taught me. He taught me that he is God and he knows everything. And that the more education you have, the dumber you are, things like this. Um, but there was some like, diet soda is good for you. Which, because I guess he's a big proponent of diet soda. Well, I'm a big proponent of diet soda now too. I wouldn't go so far to say it's good for you necessarily. But I would definitely say that there's evidence that people who use it um, keep weight off long term. So, um, I'm, I am a big proponent of... of um, uh, diet soda. Anyway, that's not a tangent I meant to go on. So, so yeah, anyway, I thought it would be a great idea to do this list, top 10 things I've learned from Greg Doucette. Right, so let's get into it. Uh, number one lesson I've learned from Greg Doucette. Uh, progressive overload is the biggest key to gain. So, Greg's catchphrase, one of his catchphrases, is harder than last time. So it basically implies uh, training to failure with progression. Um, and now, of course, he does emphasize that that progression doesn't necessarily mean heavier, 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 heavier every single time. There's other ways to progress, and um, he also, you know, makes it clear it's you've got to train safely. You don't want to injure yourself. That's training stupid. Uh, there's a difference between training stupid and training hard. So, uh, that's, that's one thing. And it, it's, it was really driven home for me this year. Uh, those who follow me know that I've, I, I was struggling in the early parts of my cut this year because I had a grand, uh, scheme to, uh, build muscle and uh, burn fat at the same time. And when that didn't go as planned, I decided to um, to change programs because I was I was losing lean mass. So so I changed programs, and the same thing happened. Same thing happened. Basically, what I came to believe was that the the true driver, if you want to build um, lean tissue, is progressive overload. So as I say, it's not 
it, it was more something, wasn't something that he per se taught me, but definitely something that he emphasized that I found to be quite good. Number two is calories in and calories out. The importance of that for weight management, whether you want to gain, whether you want to lose. Again, something that I certainly didn't learn from Greg, but he drives home in a very profound way in his way. And uh, yeah, he he does this thing a lot where he says, it doesn't matter, and then shows, shows the rock. I think he... He doesn't believe in micromanaging things, at least for most people, uh, unless you're maybe elite, but worrying about things like the glycemic index and, and going keto, he's, he's opposed to that, like cutting out entire food groups he's opposed to. He Just just control your calories. Try to get a good amount of protein in and control your calories, and um, that his, that philosophy has served me very well. So number three kind of goes along the same lines It's uh, of diet. It's that dieting can and should be enjoyable. And he accomplishes this by selling his freaking cookbook. And uh, just, just enjoy what you're eating. And I actually touch on this a little bit further, uh, the, the idea of enjoying the process, but specifically where it's related to diet, do this, have fun fun recipes to try. I've, I've really enjoyed the anabolic ice cream. I find it both filling and low calorie. This is his thing. Find foods that fill you up, that are low calorie, that taste good, right? Those, if they can fill those categories, it's, it's a recipe, no pun for success, right? Yeah. So enjoy, uh, enjoy the process of dieting. Actually, he makes a few specific recommendations. He really likes the low calorie popcorn, <laughs> not the skinny pop, but the smart pop from Orville Redenbacher. Um, just be cautious. Actually, he, he does mention that to be cautious because labels can be deceiving and, and like he mentions the skinny pop, it's actually pretty high calorie. So uh, but low-calorie popcorn, anyway, is, is one he really likes and um, basically fill up uh, in an enjoyable way. Uh, that being said, number four is kind of, kind of sounds, it's almost like in contrast to that, which is his catchphrase, put the fork down, meaning that you have to have a little bit of self-discipline as well. Like, as much as it should be enjoyable, you do have to be sensible and you do have to be responsible. Um, and, and actually, he's there's other evidence to uh, validate this, what he's saying there, which is, you know, that the people who have long-term success, they, they do two things. First of all, they, they make doing the right things easier on themselves. That way you don't necessarily have to rely on self-discipline all the time. So making the hard things, uh, or sort of making the bad things harder for you, for you to do, i.e., hide things, hide bad foods in your freezer, uh, or keep them at least out of sight, and make the easier things to do more enjoyable or more uh, easier uh, easier to do. That way, again, you don't have to rely on self-discipline, but being able to have that self-discipline through the hard times, if you can do that as well, and the recipe for success. So even though it sounds a little bit in contrast, it actually works really well with it if you can implement both of those things. Uh, so that's number four. Uh, do, 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 what's next? I'm reading off a little list here uh, in my notebook, notepad, so bear with me here. Um, so bulking 
excessively will get you fat. Hmm. So, which one am I on now? Five, I think. So I, I guess this is what he calls main gaining. Um, now, I haven't exactly put this to the test thoroughly, but I think he's right. I, I have come to believe that I've come to believe this year, as I was saying, through the, through the process of, of finding that progressive overload is extremely important, but I, I couldn't manage to get that progression very effectively while in a caloric deficit. So I have come to believe that you do need a caloric surplus, probably, to build muscle, like when that's your primary goal. But it, it shouldn't be excessive. You shouldn't look for an excessive thing. Now, this gets this can get a little bit complicated because Greg himself, and maybe I should have mentioned this with the calories in, calories out, he emphasizes that it's an estimate. You'd, there's no way to know for sure exactly how many calories you're burning. There's no way to know exactly how many you're eating. Um, it's an estimate. So you try to get as close as you can to that. You see, okay, I'm eating about this and I tend to lose weight, so that's about what I should be eating to get uh, leaner. Same thing with gaining. You keep it as low as possible while trying to be in a slight surplus. And he calls this main gaining so that you're basically trying to stay relatively lean while uh, putting on size. Now that's challenging. It's And it's also kind of... He, he seems to be against the idea of reverse dieting, which sounds very similar to this. Maybe I'm missing something, but it... Or maybe it's a nuance. I don't know. But because he's... he's seems to think that may, uh, reverse dieting is stupid, or stupid, but uh, but his main gaining thing sounds very similar to me. You incrementally increase uh, very s slightly, as, as few calories as you need to be in a slight surplus to build muscle. Anyway, generally speaking, I like the philosophy, um, although it is hard to micromanage that, and might come with the risks of potentially not being in a high enough surplus. Number six is love what you're doing. Now, he really emphasized this while he was in the midst of peak week, which I found quite interesting. On, on a side note, he revitalized my interest in peak week because the last couple of years, like I read material from Lane Norton and stuff and suggesting that peak week probably just keep doing what you've been doing is more optimal. And he kind of said something different, which was that, you know, it, it, talking about, um, what's it called? Glycogen supercompensation and things like this. And I don't know, it just, it sounded fascinating. So I gave it a try. It's hard for me to know if how successful that was. I'm going to actually try it again because when I did it, my belief is that it will make potentially a small amount of difference. Maybe when you go on stage and things like that, it, it'd be more noticeable, but the difference is marginal, right? It's just a finishing touch, but uh, you have to be pretty damn lean in order for there to be any noticeable changes. So now that I am fairly lean, like much leaner than I was the first time I tried it, I'm going to try it again. Anyway, the point is peak week is notorious for being unpleasant. And he made the comment in one of his videos talking about Peak Week how he just has to keep reminding himself that he's do he's doing this for the love of it. He's doing this because he loves it. He loves the process. So that is great. That is a mindset that will get you through the hardest times. And I mean, it's similar to the to the number uh, whatever it was, 
uh, three or four, whichever one it was. I don't know. I can't remember. Anyway, my last one about enjoying the, your diet, I think number three, that you can and should enjoy the diet. Well, same with all process, all all aspects of your program, your training, everything. Just love the process. Remind yourself that you're doing this for the love of it. Uh, that's number six. Number seven is cardio. Don't neglect cardio. Now, there's a lot of bodybuilders out there who say, especially when gaining, uh, in a gaining cycle, uh, cycle sounds like drugs, um, a gaining phase, we'll say, uh, don't do cardio because it will limit your muscle growth potential. I think I think the reasoning behind that is like, because you're going to burn more calories if you do cardio, and then you're just going to have to eat more, and for a lot of people to be you almost have to force feed yourself now those are again if you make it a very moderate caloric surplus my experience is you don't really run into that problem of having to feel like you need to force feed yourself when you when you need to eat an extra 500,000 calories a day yeah you get into that and then it's like cardio if you burn more calories suddenly because your energy expenditure is going up then you need to consume even more food still like on top of that so this is where the philosophy comes from Greg's outlook on this is well you want a moderate surplus and if you do cardio will you have to eat more yeah but view that as a good thing you know hey cool I get to eat a little bit more what is my phone doing right now (laughs) sorry about that Um, so anyway he um, yeah so where was I mentally um so he he will make the comment that your heart is more important than even your biceps right so he says that for a number of reasons mainly for health purposes just keep doing cardio not intense cardio moderate steady state cardio at about 150 uh, minutes per week i i made the verbal flub in my video of saying 150 hours that would be a bit excessive, I think. Uh, 150 minutes should do it as a starting point. I've heard around, you know, like maybe three hours, which, uh, what does that work out to? 180? Um, but So anywhere between 150 to 180 hours is probably good, even in gaining phases. Why? Well, because if you keep your cardiovascular health up, then for one thing, uh, you'll, your limits on the um, metabolic type movements will be higher, will be greater, your capacity will be greater. But then when you transition into a cutting phase, which you know you're going to do eventually, um, when you get back to cardio, you're not going to be starting over again. Your your capacity will be there, so you'll be able to do it at a more intense level, and you'll be more optimal with your cardio as well. So pretty sensible solu- uh, option, um, pretty sensible ideas. And he's been really emphasizing this, especially with all the heart attacks we've seen in bodybuilders lately like it seems every every week or a couple times a week like even w- there's a new bodybuilder friggin dropping dead in his 40s or 50s like it's unreal i mean it's scary it's that's a subject for another day but anyway um don't neglect cardio even and especially when uh gaining and i say especially because that's when it's the easiest to neglect it uh, so that was his next one. Um, I think actually, I think I skipped one. I think I skipped one. That was supposed to be number eight. 
Wowee, I'm on a roll today. Woo! Okay, let me backtrack. Um, on my list, but it doesn't, the order doesn't matter. The, so if this is a bit different from the video, like I said, that's cool, that's cool, you get different, you get to see the same information in different ways, that's cool. Um, the next one, I'll just flip the order here, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter! <laughs> Train in a, in a variety of rep ranges. So, Greg holds um, certain records in strength. And when we think of strength, we think of low repetition. He says train harder than last time, train hard. Again, we think of heavy weights and, and low repetitions. Well, he doesn't necessarily advocate for that. He seems to mostly advocate for moderate bodybuilding type rep ranges. So between 8 to 12 reps. And he, he does suggest going to failure. Maybe I should add that into this discussion as well. Um, but, but he also, if you, if you look at his videos where he talks about how he structures his workout, all the heavy work tends to be at the beginning, then all the moderate work after that. And he often will do supersets at that point in time. And then he'll do like higher threshold, higher reps goes as high as, I don't think he likes going much above like 20 reps, but that'll be towards the end of the workout, which makes a lot of sense. And in fact, it's what I've been doing recently and found the most success with. If I look better when I do that kind of training. And I progress better. So, uh, so he definitely advocates for train within a variety of rep ranges. And I'm going to throw this little bonus in because he does talk a little bit about failure. He's not a big fan of the reps in reserve and and perceive what is it RPE um, reps? Oh shoot, I can't remember that. I should know that um, perceived exertion anyway. Um, perceived proximity towards failure. Anyway, it's this philosophy that, and it, it's an interesting, good scientific philosophy that you don't need to train to failure. But part of the problem is defining what failure is because everyone's going to define it differently. If you define failure as I can't do another, if you, I can't do another rep with perfect form, um, then that's, I think, sort of what Greg means, that until your your form starts to break down uh, and you can't complete another complete repetition is, so if you train to about that point, then you know that you're pushing the muscle on that set to the, the limit where you're sort of forcing it into adaptation mode. That's what he believes in, whereas the idea of RIR is saying, well, you don't need to go quite to the extreme and sometimes it, it views failure in a different way which is like till when you're going to die basically so a lot of it is semantics but the reps and reserve model says that again you don't need to train all the way to that point of failure in order to elicit growth so do the minimum necessary to get you the most results is the concept uh, Greg kind of feels that for most trainers, you don't know when you have two reps left or three reps left or four reps. Just go till you don't have any reps left until you've, you're like, okay, I'm not going to, and you know, you intuitively know when you've been training for more than like a few months, you know, when it's like, okay, I'm not going to be able to finish another rep. If I keep doing this time to put the bar down so I don't get hurt. I mean, you know, so train to that point and then try to make that heavier next time or a slower repetition or something. So anyway, um, so I think that's enough on that one. Uh, next, and this is number nine, I guess. 
set realistic expectations. Now, this, this he actually does in a few different ways. And I, I do believe this for sure. I, and I think it's, it's a fun one because you've got to, you should have realistic expectations, but yet ambitious goals, right? You need to find the, the, the balance in there. But I think this is probably coming from his experience of seeing more people with unrealistic expectations. And he, so he does a series called Natty or Not, which if I'm being honest, doesn't really interest me because I don't care. I don't care. Oh, is this guy juicing? Yeah, probably, but who cares? It's like, I don't know. It, it doesn't interest me, but there is a, there is another point to it. And that the point to this is to say, well, can I expect to achieve this type of the, the same results as this person as this celebrity or whoever without taking drugs? There's some value there because how you set your expectations, if they're way too high, if they're way, if they're extremely unrealistic, that will lead to discouragement. And when you're discouraged, you're going to give up. I know this to be a fact. I saw this in my own life. When I first started, when I first started, this is just a small tangent, a small story to illustrate what, what the importance of this. When I first started training, my first introduction to real serious training was the book Body for Life. And I saw all these amazing transformations within 12 weeks. They said you could go from looking like a fatso to looking like a superhero. And they showed the pictures and I was like, I'm in, right? I bought, I saw this first on a magazine. So I bought the magazine and then the magazine said it's about buying a book. And so I bought the book and the book said it's about buying supplements. So I bought the supplements. I did the training from the book and my results were not great after 12 weeks. So it was very discouraging. And actually I say I bought the supplements. I bought minimal supplements and and that was part of my discouragement as I was thinking as an 18 year old kid, well, maybe you need supplements and I, I'm not going to invest $300 a week in supplements. So I guess I can't succeed, right? You get discouraged if your expectations aren't realistic. And I mean, yes, I know learning, <laughs> learning exercise moves from a book wasn't optimal. That's in fact, I'm going to be talking about that very soon. I'm going to be doing a review on a book about it, it's like learning like when the karate kid was trying to learn karate from a, a book how mr miyagi was like what are you doing dumb dumb <laughs> pretty much without saying that um but, but anyway the point is my my expectations weren't realistic and i got discouraged and i stopped doing it for years that was years that if i had back when i was in my prime holy crap what kind of shape i would be in now and so setting unrealistic expectations is can be detrimental can and almost certainly will be detrimental if you don't set them realistically so um so yeah so he does it and now he's also very aware of things like body dysmorphia right where people get so obsessed with getting this body that they they sacrifice their health and so he says to picture your ideal physique and realize that you're going to only at most get halfway there. In other words, set realistic expectations. This is the point behind this one. And I think he's bang on the last one. Oh, this is a big one. Give me a moment to collect my thoughts here. 
Okay, so number ten on my list. Just to just to recap, what was what was uh, the ones leading up to this? This is in no particular order, but this number ten I think is pretty appropriate to be at the end. Yeah, let me get that. Okay, so one is progressive overload slash harder than last time. Number two, calories in, calories out. Seco to the best of your ability, knowing that you're not going to get it perfectly accurate. Number, uh, that was number two. Number three, dieting canon should be enjoyable by my freaking cookbook. Number four, put the fork down. Number five, main gain. Wow, he's got a lot of catchphrases. Um, number six, uh, love, love the process. Love what you're doing, including peak week and crazy stuff like that. Uh, seven, train in a variety of rep ranges. Eight, don't neglect cardio. Nine, set realistic expectations. And finally, drum roll number 10. Humility and transparency create respect. <laughs> Anybody who is listening to this knows Greg. I'm sure of that. And the first things that pop into mind certainly isn't humility for a guy who screams, I'm right 99.97% of the time and things like this. And and he comes across as very loud. This is why it takes a while to get into him. Very, almost obnoxious, uh, very certain, uh, overly confident uh, to the point of almost being uh, narcissistic. Um, humble isn't the first thing that comes to mind when you think of this guy. Um, transparent. Um, probably also not. I mean, but actions speak louder than words. He doesn't go around saying, you know, you should be humble. You should be transparent. But think about it. He shouts, again, by my freaking cookbook. He's not hiding what he's doing. He's not a doing these crazy marketing schemes. And I'll give an example here. I was looking... His his uh, training book, Harder Than Last Time is the title of it, appropriately. Um, I was trying to get an idea of what this book is, what to expect from it, because it's pricey. And he admits, he's like, it's yeah, it costs 200 bucks, but think how much it costs to hire me as a trainer. Okay, he, again, he's not hiding from the fact that it's pretty expensive for a training book. So I looked around for reviews on it. And one of the reviews I came across for it was a guy that I have, because of this review, I have zero respect for. And he might be good, I don't know. But what he basically did in the review was he said, Greg's book is is terrible. He charges 200 bucks, yet there's no pictures in it of people performing exercises, which I just said a couple minutes ago. That's the worst way to learn how to perform exercises is by having pictures in a book. It's exactly what, and honestly, when I get training exercise books now or fitness books, I skip past those sections with the, because it's like, they're, they're no good. They're no help. If I want to learn how to perform an exercise, either I'm going to get a, uh, somebody knowledgeable, a coach to train me how in person to do it, or I'm going to watch a, a video on it because you can actually get something out of it. Picture books with written descriptions just aren't a, an efficient, good way to learn how to train. So he was like, wow, Greg's book 
doesn't have all these things, but mine does. Craig's book costs a hundred and or two hundred dollars or whatever it is. You can get mine for eight dollars on Amazon today. It's like you piece of shit. Like you're using so you for the clickbait because Greg has a lot of followers. You're gonna review his book, but really what you're trying to do is sell your own book. That's shady. That's you've got an ulterior motive. People don't respect that. It's People are smarter than that. They catch on to what the hell you're doing. Greg doesn't do crap like that. He doesn't He doesn't say, yeah, this... Now, that being said, yes, some of his titles are clickbaity, and he'll go there, and through the course of it, he'll scream, buy my freaking cookbook, or buy my freaking training book, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, he'll do that. Um, but again, he's... he's he comes across as transparent as he's, yes, I'm trying to sell things. And he's even, he even made one video. I don't remember the subject of it, but he basically says, yeah, I want to be rich, which is like, it's refreshing. It's refreshing is what it is. When, when somebody's just like honest with what they're trying to do, it's refreshing and people respect things that are refreshing and honest, right? People respect honesty. They don't respect things like what I alluded to where you've got like hidden agendas um, and you're trying to and and marketing ploys where you're trying to like trick them into buying your thing sorry people don't respect that people do respect transparency see and they respect humility so let's get back to that one for a second Greg Doucette humble what the hell are you talking about well here's the thing there was I, the best example I can think of this is when he was first launching his supplement line. Some reviews started coming out like, "Are these any good?" Right, because they're they're an online independent brand. They're going to be a bit more expensive. We know this. Um, so he added a fat burner to the line. Reviews started coming out saying this thing is garbage. Like it's microdosed a bunch of things that are questionable how effective they are in the first place. And next thing I know, Greg's putting on a video saying, you know what? This is garbage. I blew it here, guys. I, and he said, and everybody that pre-ordered it, he refunded them. Uh, allegedly, I, I don't know. I didn't pre-order it, but that's what he said he did. I have no reason to doubt that's what he did. Um, he said, yeah, I, I actually, so what happened with, and he explained himself. He said, I, I wanted all these things in it because I, I like these specific things. I turned it over to the, um, the people who manufacture and, and, uh, put together the supplements for me. Cause I don't do everything myself. I hire people to do things and, but it, I'm not blaming them. I'm blaming myself. He does this when, when something goes wrong on his channel or whatever, he's very quick to say, I'm not blaming my team. I just didn't oversee it properly. And that's what happened with this supplement. He said, I didn't oversee it properly. Things got to a point where I admit that this isn't good. This isn't a good product. And I apologize for that. And I'm going to do better. So that's not making excuses. That's the thing. He understands that. There's a difference between making excuses and explaining yourself. Explaining what went wrong. That way people know, okay, I'm going to try to not make this mistake again, right? So I've seen this. I've seen this in action with him admitting. And, and even though he screams, I'm right, 99.97% of the time, he's like, this time I wasn't. And he owns that. That, to me is true humility because we see so friggin much these days of 
and it, it's in the political sphere all the time. I, I it comes to mind when Justin Trudeau was caught doing blackface, and he's like, "Yes, I take responsibility for this." Okay, how do you take responsibility for this? I I, I just said I take responsibility for this. Uh, I'm not going to actually do anything about this, and it wasn't my fault. It it was you know my my parents told me it would be funny, and and but. But, you know, it's, it's empty words, empty words. We see so much of these empty words and it's not actual humility. They want to look like they're humble, but they're not. And so these things showing, demonstrating true humility, demonstrating true transparency, this creates respect. And I feel that this is why Greg has a loyal following because he's earned their respect. Now, this is this list is top 10 things I've learned from Greg. I kind of knew this and, and some of the other ones before, right? But again, it's just him driving that home. And I think it's great to actually see that, that his loyal... That there's hope in the world that people aren't falling for schemes, that people aren't falling for the empty words and the fake humility and the marketing ploys of these other people. Although he, that guy actually has a surprising number of followers. But again, I, I'd be surprised if they're all real followers just because I, I don't trust that he's got integrity, right? Because of videos like that one, right? Yeah, it is what it is. You lose respect, you lose respect. But, um, but when you, you earn the respect of people via being humble, being transparent, by giving good information, not always... And actually, on that note, Greg often says, you know, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Great. That's We need more of that. We need more of that. In certain ways, Greg brings more of what we need into the fitness sphere as far as YouTube is concerned. Now, caveat... Like I said, his natty or not videos don't interest me. He does get involved with some drama, and that's entertaining for sure. And I think he gets he gets discredited a little bit because he gets involved in things like that. And and sometimes he gets a bit over emotional. So when somebody gives him a negative review, he'll um, he'll go on the defensive offensive whatever he'll basically he'll do a video a lot of his videos are actually defending himself against what he feels to be unfair attacks which is like it's hard to blame him but the fallout of that is that it creates drama all right there's he's had tiffs with like greg nippard who or greg jeff nippard he's had tiffs with um with other um with uh mike isratel who i think that one kind of they actually had a um, a very cordial chat after their tiff, which I thought was kind of cool. I like seeing things like that. Um, the he's had tiffs with with other people. Um, that it's, it's just drama again, and and it comes from him wanting to defend himself and him wanting to, when he sees information he considers to be bad, to steer people away from the bad information towards the good. I I get that. The unfortunate side of that is he sometimes gets painted as a drama queen, as, as someone trying to stir things up. Um, so there is that side. I suppose it's entertaining. It can be entertaining. Um, you don't want to get too much involved in that because it's like, you don't want to get emotionally involved in these things, right? Like it's, 
just like the same with the politics these days. Try not to get emotionally involved because you'll get upset for no reason. For uh, things that are out of your control and don't really matter in the end. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that pretty much, uh, that's a good summary and that, that sums it up. So there's my top 10 list of things I've learned this year from Greg Doucette. So uh, hopefully you've enjoyed that. Like I say, there's um, links if you want to watch my YouTube version, which is a little different from, from this audio version and the blog version, which because it's written is uh, is also different too and but and might be a little bit easier if, if you know you want to, um, I don't know, if, if you just take in information better in the reading form. Uh, I'll try to find those links and put them in the description. Okay, catch you next time.